All right, welcome everybody to Vermont Awana Podcast, Elevate the State. This is episode one on May 16th, coming at you from Burlington, Vermont, down here in the South End, 208 Flynn Ave, at the Pineal Design Studio. Thank you, Uncle Drew, for lending us the studio space here, long-term basis. And welcome, everybody. This is the first podcast, episode one. So we're going to work out some kinks, but first I'll tell you a little bit more about what we're going to do and get into some of the content. So some people have heard me use the phrase, elevate the state. Uh, As far as I can tell, I'm the one who made it up, at least the one who uses it here in Vermont. So when we say elevate the state, kind of that refers to my general philosophy about where we are with cannabis in Vermont. Uh, There are a lot of people who are looking for information. There's a lot of great ideas, a lot of great energy. And people, unless they're on the inside, uh, generally don't have an idea what's going on. So when I started this as a blog back in August, really my idea was that I wanted to reach people in Vermont and elsewhere who want to know what's going on. Uh, maybe they're involved in the industry in other states. Maybe they're regular Vermonters who want to know what's going on with the laws. Maybe they're people who have been underground and want to learn how they can participate in this in the future. Uh, so we're going to talk about a lot of different topics. Not all of them will be directly related to Vermont and our current status. We're going to talk to industry people from all over the country, all over the world eventually, um, and including even in this first episode, all over the region. So we'll have a feature on that. But again, we will talk about policy. Politics. Well, we'll talk about current events, and we'll talk about hemp, we'll talk about medical, and we'll talk about business and industry and the things that are coming up. We'll also talk a lot about advocacy related to the politics, what people can do to get involved, and kind of what we have to do to actually make uh, legal cannabis a reality here in Vermont. So before we get into the current events here in Vermont, shout out to our first sponsor, Hetty Vermont. Hetty Vermont is Vermont's independent, newest independent media outlet dedicated to cannabis and speaking to a broad national audience. Uh, I am the editor and managing partner along with Monica Donovan here in Burlington. So, you know, Vermont to one is going to be something a little bit different, but we're going to post it on Hetty Vermont and always encourage people. That's the best place to go for uh, unbiased, objective, detailed, original cannabis reporting about what's going on in Vermont and elsewhere. So shout out to Hetty Vermont, www. HeadyVermont.com. Okay, so again, it's mid-May. We've uh, we've had a few weeks to recover. If you hadn't heard by now, um, well, you've heard by now. Vermont did not pass legalization. Vermont did not pass any sort of updates significant to legalization or tax and regulate. We did, however, make some very important medical cannabis law updates. So don't want to say that this session was a complete failure. I think that everybody involved learned a lot. A lot of new people, including myself, got involved uh, for the first time or at a much deeper level than they had before. So maybe you're somebody who had read about cannabis and maybe this session you made a call to a legislator. Maybe you came to an event in public. All these are positive steps. You know, talk to enough OGs and people who have been doing this and risking their freedom for 20, 30 years, especially in places not as friendly as Vermont. And you learn that you got to take sort of the longer perspective. So as a, as a millennial, I'm very impatient and want to see things happen quickly and thought that, you know, throw up a bunch of new media and uh, social media and make some noise and that we can make things happen. Obviously, we all need to uh, keep our nose to the grindstone and take this in sort of the longer, longer vision. So I think that we did make some really meaningful progress. Again, significant updates to the medical laws via S14. We'll get into those in more detail in later shows. But what people should know right off the bat is that 
Chronic pain is now a qualifying condition. Previously, it was severe pain. So this changes a lot of things. As Matt Simon of Marijuana Policy Project said after legalization happened, or I'm sorry, after this S14 update passed, um, now people who have chronic pain have an alternative to opioids. So for the first time, people who are diagnosed in Vermont with chronic pain are going to have cannabis as an option. This is assuming that their physician recommends it. So again, that's a very significant update. They've also reduced the number of months, which you need to... Uh, Previously, you had to have a six-month relationship with your physician in order for it to be a bona fide relationship. That's currently three months, so that's positive. And there were also some changes as far as working with people who have qualified in other states and have moved to Vermont. This is in big part due to one of the veterans whose names I don't have written down. He came and testified back in March at the uh, legislative set at the House um, public forum that they had. And this guy gave some heartbreaking testimony about having MS and being denied even after moving here in Vermont in part to take advantage of our laws. So um, cheers to him. He came out and he gave some great testimony. And I spoke to a lot of legislators who told me that he's part of the reason why that particular um, law, why, why that particular part of the law was updated. That kind of ties into our first episode. We're going to talk to a veterans advocacy group down in Massachusetts called Operation Green Zone, um, but props to this guy. So, you know, again, where are we right now? Not where we'd like to be. Uh, we're going to watch Massachusetts and Maine have binding valid initiatives in November of this year, which could really change things in Vermont depending on how those votes go. Uh, so we're really looking for them to pick it up, and part of the reasons that we'll have, for that reason in part, We'll be talking to a lot of people from Massachusetts and from Maine. Uh, these are folks who probably have a clearer path than us to make things happen sooner than us as far as bigger picture reforms. So we're going to talk a lot to them. And obviously we are very disappointed, but stay tuned to Hedy Vermont. We are going to put out a lot of information related to advocacy. I think that if people understand how the process is going to work here in Vermont, there will not be a ballot initiative, at least not one that's binding. It will be upon uh, it will be incumbent upon us as advocates to put together a coalition and build a consensus about these are terms that we all agree should happen and could happen and make our case to representatives both in the House and the Senate, many of whom are uh, are up for re-election this year. Um, so we will have primaries in August, we'll have general election in November. Before then, we'll be doing a lot of reporting about which representatives were supportive of cannabis, which representatives were not at all, and which representatives feel like they could go either way but have some pressing questions. So we're going to give people more information on how to get involved. All is not lost here in Vermont. Uh, everybody, as you'll hear that we talk to, agrees that things will happen eventually. Um, but, you know, it's going to take some time. So our first interview actually took place the very uh, evening that uh, the House voted down all the uh, the final cannabis reform bills, the decrim and the uh, the legalization. So it was interesting timing, but I finally got a chance to connect with Keisha Rahm, who, if you live in Vermont, if you follow politics at all, even if you don't, you've probably heard her name, probably seen her out there. She has been in the House of Representatives representing Burlington for over eight years. She is a Democrat. Um, and when she was elected, she was one of the youngest representatives. So she's sort of, I was interested because she's involved. Um, she's represented a youth sort of uh, demographic. She's represented a Burlington demographic. And now for the first time, she's running for a statewide office, and that of lieutenant governor. Coincidentally, or not coincidentally, maybe unfortunately, 
um, for either her or her opponent, Senator Dave Zuckerman. They have a contested primary. Right now it's two of them. It could end up actually being three if uh, former Speaker Shap Smith jumps into the fray. Um, but because Senator Zuckerman has been one of the most vocal advocates for cannabis reform for over a decade, we've heard a lot from him during this session. I've spoken with him a lot. He's been involved through his campaign and through his role as a sitting Chittenden County Senator in trying to advance things. And so for somebody who's made it a, a big issue, we know, I think, pretty clearly where he stands, and it's been great that he continues to talk about it. However, I also was curious, what is Keisha's position? Again, as somebody who's one of the younger members, as somebody who is, um, you know, seeking to advance her political career now through statewide office, it's obviously a huge issue, but it's one that I don't think she's really addressed in too much depth. Um, we had spoken earlier in the winter about sitting down and talking about it, and I was frankly surprised we didn't have a conversation earlier because if you're running for statewide office, you know, here's a chance for you to get some free media. If you come out and say what your, uh, what your cannabis position is during the House session, especially when you are a sitting member of the House, one would think that you could have an impact either on your candidacy and or on the process itself as somebody who's gaining some visibility in the House and in your caucus. Um, so I really, I thank Keisha for sitting down with me because we did have a chance to speak and kind of talk more about what her positions really are, uh, where she thinks things are going to go and kind of what her campaign strategy has or has not been involving cannabis and how she thinks things will continue to evolve. So without further ado, here is our uncut interview with Lieutenant Gubernatorial Candidate, I'm sorry, Candidate for Lieutenant Governor, Keisha Ram, Democratic House Representative from Burlington. So Keisha, you're running for Lieutenant Governor, obviously, Democratic nominee. What had you put out publicly? I know there hadn't been so much. I know you've been really busy. Yeah. What did you put out publicly before about your can your cannabis policy? And what's your reaction to the vote today? Yeah, well, so um, a, a couple years ago now, I was on Ways and Means um, when we started to get information from Colorado and Washington. And it was coming in bits and pieces and anecdotes, and we wanted something more empirical. So. You know, at the time, I really felt like the conversation was building and it was going to be pivotal for us to start thinking about reforming our marijuana policy, our cannabis policy. And um, so I worked with a small group of legislators to uh, help commission the RAND study mm -hmm. that would give us a more formative look at what the Vermont path forward would be. And, um, you know, I. I have been someone who has always wanted to have this conversation, have taken votes as a small minority in the House um, to try to make sure we're getting the right information and we're charting a course forward to recognize that um, there are a lot of people who use cannabis medically, um, who uh, have it as, you know, who integrate it into their lives and routine um, in a safe way. And, um, we we really need to just be um, worried about over abuse from kids and um, how we create a policy, I think, that captures revenue and regulates the product so that it's safe. Right. Um, it's safer. We know the content. Um, it's well regulated. So what we got back from the RAND study was something that gave me pause to make sure that we figured this out well, which is that we're a tiny state. 
um, with huge populations around us. Um, and that does show up in our um, drug trafficking, our gun trafficking, our human trafficking in Vermont. Um, we're a state that's low on law enforcement reach, and um, we have people traveling in quarters through the state that um, you know, are taking advantage of our small nature. Sure. Um, we have an opiate epidemic and a substance abuse crisis in the state, and I don't think anyone mm -hmm. can argue that. Um, that said, you know, given how many people do use cannabis, um, we need to probably figure out a better policy. So that brings us to um, the debate that came from the Senate into the House, and um, S-241, which passed the Senate, I thought was a fairly well-structured bill. It addressed a lot of the governor's questions about making sure it's out of the, the hands of minors, um, that we tackle drug driving, and that the revenue policy is the right fit. Some of the concerns that I had were hearing from um, representatives of municipalities, towns, cities, and school districts that they didn't feel like they um, were given a full opportunity to be um, heard mm. in that process. That when you look at what's happening in Colorado, for example, there's a lot of displaced tourism. There's a lot of local law enforcement needs. Sure. There's a lot of, you know, just hearing stories about kids who are who have to be so aware of their surroundings, so aware of the motels that are, you know, where there's a lot of cannabis tourism. And um, just thinking through how, having worked in local government, how does a community grapple with that? Well, one thing, you know, I'm curious, I know in Colorado they have an opt-out clause for municipalities, and I yeah. know that was originally included here. It seemed to me that, and I think everybody else, that if you were a city or a town that didn't want to participate, you know, didn't want to zone any businesses, didn't want to have those B&Bs or retail stores, that you could choose not to have that. I think that's certainly a part of it, but I think we have to recognize that that's not going to stop it from impacting those communities. And there are communities that probably do want to move forward, but have a seat at the table to figure out what that looks like. So when the commission and working group um, structure was set up to figure out what things were going to look like in two years when we did legalize, um, municipalities simply wanted a seat at the table. That was one of their requests. Some other requests, you know, we thought about what what is the bare minimum of what the state needs to enforce well and to figure out um, how to put this policy in place safely and uh, municipalities were, were asking for the same thing um, and I think you know they will have to be front and center in this conversation because that's where rubber meets the road and that's what's really important the other provision that really rubbed me the wrong way is um, you know I've been a social justice advocate for a long time and have just been disturbed with what I see coming out of states that are further down the road than us where they're certain folks who are making money hand over fist and have figured out how to find their place in the system um, and be very profitable. And the same people who face disparities that got them caught up in the criminal justice system in the first place still face those disparities. There's still institutional classism and racism when it comes to who's able to profit and who's still struggling and was caught up in the criminalization of the same behavior. Right. And um, I, think, I think S14 was removed the clause that you could participate in a legal cannabis industry even if you had a prior drug conviction. Yeah, so I hadn't seen that today. I, I asked around just to see where that provision was and um, you know, that that is that in medical the medical marijuana right. change. So that is a big step forward. Um, what I saw coming out of the legalization bill mm -hmm. was still that you wouldn't be able to participate in the industry um, if you had a criminal record. 
Yeah. And those are the kinds of things that really don't represent the Vermont way necessarily where we just passed ban the box today and we're all about giving people second chances. We're all about recognizing a lot of folks, a lot of families have been caught up. Well, um, but I think a lot of proponents would say, and, and especially, you know, law enforcement says point blank, there are no racial disparities in our policing. Data shows us a different story and I think mm -hmm. anecdotal and common sense evidence Vermonters would suggest otherwise. You know, so as somebody who cares about social justice, somebody who's concerned about, you know, protecting the minorities in Vermont who are unfairly policed, mm -hmm. statistically and objectively, it's surprising not to hear more legalization or, you know, even the de even the decrim. You know, which well, civil yeah. penalty, which civil <laughs> fines are still. Are so still, I was proud to support decriminalization, you know? and that to me was, I was part of trying to help find some sort of compromise. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as advocates and and folks who've been paying attention to what's gone on today in the legislature can um, appreciate there were there was not enough support um, certainly for legalization, but. Um, we couldn't even get to the point where we could do decriminalization of, of cultivation of a few plants. And that gets me to um, the, my concern about the process. You know, um, for years I've been wanting to have a real conversation about this. And I'm disappointed in the House. You know, I'm disappointed um, It feels, I think, to a body. lot of people like, you know, February 25th, this move to the House mm -hmm. in the last 48 hours is the first time it's really been, yeah. <laughs> it's really been discussed. I mean, is that, I know some committees spent a lot of time on it. Some reps complained that they hadn't had their committee see it at all. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so how, if it moved to the House on February 25th, how do you, how do you explain sort of that lack of understanding and that, you know, we all knew this was going to be a huge issue and it was going to mm -hmm. come to a vote. Mm -hmm. So how did that disconnect happen, do you think? Well, um, you know, I think uh, the And what have we been doing the last two, you know, right. last well, two and a half months? I know there's a lot to, to cover. To be fair, there's, there's a lot not, going not on. Not just thought. I know that's... <laughs> yes. remind, I remind people yes. of that often. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, I think leadership took a pretty hands-off approach to this one in the House and let the committees do their work recognizing that there was a lot of opposition. And perhaps, and I can't speak for anyone, perhaps the philosophy was that... Um, giving people time and space rather than, you know, ramming things through um, would help people come to the best conclusion and build more buy-in. And instead, I think the opposite happened. Um, people got really dug in into their position, and it became clear that committees couldn't agree with one another, let alone build agreement that the House could support. And I do find that frustrating. Um, I do think we owe it to Vermonters to have a more thoughtful conversation about this in the future, um, now that we, we have seen what's come down today. Um, and I do have to say, to be fair, um, you know, Vermonters do have a lot of other priorities. Uh, yeah. You know, we're learning just this week that the healthcare exchange still is not on track to be working for folks. Um, middle class families are struggling. People are. I mean, um, I think the privacy bill is probably bigger news for the the marijuana crowd. Any other year that a marijuana bill is not on there, you know, I mean, talking about drone legislation. It's, right. Exactly. It's a great point. You know. And yeah. So I, you know, I wonder for you. For you personally, mm -hmm. and for you as a candidate, you know you've been you've been here a little you've been here a, a little while now. Yeah, yeah. But you're kind eight of years. you're known for your you're known for your youth representing UVM, mm -hmm. representing Burlington. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not a progressive, but you're somebody who I think people believe has progressive values. Yeah. And you're a candidate who's running against kind of the most pro weed person. Yep. Who's been out here <laughs> for the last decade? So, I, I think the question for folks is that 
your calculation clearly was not to make that a big a big part of your campaign previously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, thinking, I mean, I, thinking I, about yeah. thinking about that mm-hmm. that tactically, you know, do you personally wish that as a candidate or a rep you had you had done more? I mean, hindsight, <laughs> we're we're ten minutes off after the vote, but I, I don't think about these things politically necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I saw what was coming to the floor from having the bill from the Senate but not having any vetted work, not changing any of the things I was concerned about, um, I wasn't prepared to take a vote politically to support it that I knew I didn't feel comfortable with. Um, I think people know me, whether it's as a liberal or progressive or or simply a Democrat, um, to be pragmatic and responsible about the votes that I take and to have wanted dug in and do the work and to wait for... um, that buy-in to be created and for Vermonters to feel ownership over the solution that we arrive at. And obviously that didn't happen. And I don't want to blame any one person, but at the same time, um, you know, it's one thing to pass a bill through the Senate and then be out there talking about it. And it's another to stay in the trenches in the House and continue to do that work. You know, for the past few weeks that I've had a renewable energy siting bill voted out unanimously um, that I reported in the House floor, and I've been down in the Senate almost every day talking to senators right. trying to work on it. So if, you know, um, the other candidate in this race is going to grandstand on this position, I would think he also could say that he put the time and effort in working with his House colleagues to get this done. Um, and if he can't say that, you know, then then I do think that's only half the process because there's two bodies. Right. Well, and, and speaking of and speaking of candidates, um, you know, potential lieutenant governor candidates, rumors that, you know, Speaker Smith is, might be hopping into this race um, obviously would challenge you and, and Senator Zuckerman for that Democratic nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems like his position has gone from being in favor as a candidate for governor last summer, quiet for most of the winter, and very recently, as the rumors have heated up, he's been a very vocal supporter, um, at least within the last 72 hours. Right. (laughs) Um, So I'm wondering your your reaction to that, if you're surprised, and moving forward, how you distinguish yourself and kind of what your clear, crystallized platform on the issue is for people to consider over the next few months. Well, I think you have to look at the position of lieutenant governor and move and think backward from there. Um, you know, it's a position where you really should be um, trying to be fair, impartial, and listen to the conversation that's coalescing in your body, in this case in the Senate. Um, and you have to keep your ear out for what Vermonters want and need. Uh, As I travel around the state, I am having this conversation with Vermonters. And, you know, people feel very passionately about it on both sides. And then there's a lot of folks in the middle who say, you know, I think we'll eventually get there. Um, It makes, it's common sense to to legalize marijuana at some point. But it might not be the biggest priority right now while we have an opiate crisis and we're Mm -hmm. worried about what our communities look like in terms of renewable energy siting and middle class families are struggling. Um, This did not rise high on the priority list for Vermonters that I talked to. You know, that said, um, I think I've been fairly consistent. I have always wanted data-driven government, good information, and to find common ground with people. Um, And that is what I'm offering to Vermonters in my candidacy for lieutenant governor. And I can't speak for, you know, the leadership process that took place in the House. I was disappointed with it. And I also think for those... 
those candidates for whom it was their biggest priority, um, you have to keep putting in the muscle mm -hmm. and working with your your um, fellow legislators in the other esteemed body to get something done. That's what it takes in this building, and it's what it takes to get something to the governor's desk. And I think when I set my mind to something, um, you know, I, I get it across the finish line because I don't, um, th you know, stop at doing my small part and then go out to um, simply mm -hmm. stump on it. You have sure. to make sure you take it all the way. And frankly, I've been um, really focused on trying to, to work on um, broad compromise on renewable energy siting so we can chart a course to our renewable energy future. If I had put, you know, more time into um, cannabis legislation, would we be in a different place? You know, I, I simply um, can't say because House members need more time with sure. this issue, and I hope to be part of working with um, the cannabis reform community and other stakeholders to see that we're in a better place to have this conversation next biennium. And last, qu and last question, leaving on that, mm -hmm. um, do you think that next biennium in, in January that this is a reasonable starting point decriminalization of, of two plants? I mean, kind of, where do you think that this conversation starts? Because it's probably only going to increase with our neighbors making moves in Massachusetts and Maine. Where do, where do we start and what do you think that cannabis reform community should do to better prepare House members? Well, um, I think the first thing I would say is January is not where the conversation starts, right? The conversation is starting anew right now, now that we've taken this, this um, vote that felt very defeating for the cannabis reform community. Um, they need to start engaging, engaging with their legislators and their neighbors now, um, and we need to be poised to collect data and get the right information from what's happening in these other states, not only the ones that are further down the road to legalization, but the ones that have ballot initiatives in November. Um, we need to figure out what lessons we can draw from all of that, what lessons we can draw from Ohio and other places mm -hmm. that didn't ultimately support it, um, and get things done the Vermont way. And that's going to take all summer and fall. Um, and then we should be back here in January, hopefully poised to have um, a better path forward on the table. I, I don't think, if you ask most of the folks in this room if they thought, you know, decriminalization of two plants would be the best answer we could come up with after three months. I don't know that they would tell you that that is the answer. Um, I think when, um, you know, members of the legislature really put their minds to it, um, they do right by Vermonters. And um, we simply did not have a robust enough conversation on this issue this session. And I think it's disappointing for a lot of people. Um, but we have a real opportunity in the election season and seeing what's happening in other states and preparing for next session to have a different conversation. Great. And if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about your candidacy, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, my website, keisharam.com, K-E-S-H-A-R-A-M dot C-O-M. And people have been tweeting at me and Facebooking, and <laughs> I really do appreciate that. I know that this is a difficult uh, issue for people to work through, and there's a lot of disappointment um, in the cannabis reform community today, and happy to keep the conversation going with all kinds of stakeholders. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you again to House Representative and candidate for Lieutenant Governor Keisha Rahm. I think we learned a lot from that short interview, which again did happen a few weeks ago. But you know, I think that um, not only does Keisha represent her own campaign, but I think that she represents kind of a, a good snapshot of where the mainstream democratic political opinion on this issue is. 
would like to support it for the right reasons, for social justice purposes, um, you know, for criminal reform, for economic potential maybe in the future, uh, but, you know, still kind of lacking that that sort of uh, empowerment to really go out on a limb or make it his or her specific issue. You know, I mean, clearly, I think listening to Takeshi, you get the impression that she had a lot more issues that were a bigger priority for her. Um, she mentioned renewable energy siting quite a bit and actually took some interesting, uh, took some took some subtle shots there. She's a really, really talented politician um, and somebody you can tell thinks very carefully about everything that she says. So it was really cool to interview her uninterrupted for that long and really appreciate her, her getting the word out there. You know, again, she also sounds like somebody for whom this could be a bigger issue and a bigger priority if there was a bigger um, push from constituents and from possible voters to make this an issue. So, again, you know, she's going up against Dave Zuckerman, the Chittenden County Senator who's been most vocally in favor of cannabis reform for over a decade. But she's also, again, an active member of the House um, and somebody who has a bright political future here in Vermont, no matter what happens with this lieutenant governor race. So look for her to stay to stay involved. She did invite participation. She says that she wants to uh, talk more about the issue, hear more from advocates, and sounds like she has some some very mainstream talking points of why she can't support it fully, talking about towns wanting control, talking about an opiate crisis, but also sounds like she is somebody who could be nudged, and if given the right information and sort of the right angles as to why this will help, be somebody who could become not only an ally, uh, but somebody who maybe could be a potentially strong advocate. So I'd love to see more people talking with her and, and appreciate her sitting down to speak with me. Vermont Awana is also sponsored by Little Bay Cabins outside of Negril, Jamaica. The country, not Jamaica, the town in Vermont, located 30 minutes from Negril and about an hour from Montego Bay. Little Bay Cabins is a gorgeous three-acre property, cannabis-friendly. They have retreats, great place for gatherings, just magical, beautiful, unspoiled place, very close to Bob Marley's former house. Just some wonderful vibes down there. So shout out to Little Bay Cabins. Hope to see you down there soon. www.littlebaycabins.com Big up one more time to our friends down there at Little Bay Cabin in Jamaica and up here in Vermont. Beautiful place. Our next interview is with Mr. Mark Shepard. He is one of the co-founders and organizers of Any Can, the New England Cannabis Convention. I say the because it is the first and largest New England Cannabis Convention. They had their second annual one back in, uh, in April in Boston. They had put these on last year. They started getting into the game, dipping their toes in, moved around to a few different locations, and they actually had two small ones in Boston last year. And this year absolutely blew up. Disclaimer, we were down there representing Hetty Vermont, had a booth down there, um, and this is where we got those interviews. So some of this has already appeared on Hetty Vermont, but we have the full interview with Mark Shepard and really just can't say enough about this event. It was so cool to, within four hours of Vermont, go down there and see over 4,000 people come through the doors, hundreds of exhibitors who were down there, and just a lot of great energy. Um, you know, for Vermont and everywhere else, it's it's happening whether we're ready or not. And there are some places that are moving forward right now, some places that are waiting for a cue. So down there in the Bay State in Mass, they're definitely uh, moving forward. 
Mark was really visionary as, long, as, well, as well as its partners in um, getting ahead of this. You see cannabis trade shows and conventions blowing up all over the country, all over the world right now. These guys wanted to put one on in New England for New Englanders. They keep the prices low. They try to let locals in. They still bring in national brands. And I think what we saw, what I saw, was a really cool mix of sort of past, present, and future all coming together. And, and really, as Mark talks about, an emphasis on supporting locals and people here in the region. So without further ado, here is Mark Shepard. Congratulations. I mean, I saw you got some great press down there in Boston. You know, TV coverage, media, all that, that earned media is great stuff. Yeah, it was, um, the show was um, a terrific, a terrific step for us. We, we really had a good time. Yeah, and you had done, I mean, I know last year I went to the regional one in Portland. I know you had split them up in different New England states. This was the first time that you guys had a dedicated convention in Boston proper, correct? Okay. But the, thank you. Thank you. But none of no, you know, no traditional convention center would take the show last year. So the, the two Boston shows were actually our two smallest shows because they were at this place, the Castle at Park Plaza. That's really, really kind of made for a beer fest, you know, and it right. could only fit about fifty-five booths and and one stage. So it was just by default because we couldn't get a bigger venue. Right. Yeah, I've actually, it's funny you mention that. I actually have been to the Craft Beer Fest at that exact venue before, and uh, it's wild. Um, okay, so, you know, scale-wise, I th saw in some of the other news reports that it had doubled, more than doubled in size, I think, in the number of vendors. What would you guys end up with for vendors, and, and how many people came through the gates? You know, we had... Um I, I, I think it was a total of 113 vendors that showed up. At one point, we had signed over 120, but then some people combined booths or um, smalled it up. So we, we had about 113, and it was really tough to keep um, a count because, obviously, you give all the vendors passes um, and guest lists and things, but it was, it was easily over 4,000 wow. um, people okay. there. Wow, I mean, I'm not, I'm not surprised from being there both days and seeing the steady stream from open to close. Uh, it seemed like it was pretty consistent traffic, so that, that number doesn't surprise me at all. It, that was sort of a, a best case scenario for us. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of difficulties with, you know, you had the PAX um, gaming convention in town weekend. It was cool vacation week, so. You know, we had a couple of things that were making us nervous, but it, but it worked out great. Yeah, I mean, and to be able to do it right in the hind center in the middle of the, in the back bay, you know, kind of prime time, I think, shows how far this has come. I remember being down at the, the, the Nerd Center for an event back in March. So for you guys to be able to go from, you know, that smaller venue that couldn't contain your vendors to really the center of the city, you know, you guys going to be in Gillette next year? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, pretty, pretty good growth trend. I mean, it's, it's eventually the plan. And, and, you know, I, I already think we'll be, you know, we, we had one exhibit hall at the Heinz. It's pretty easy to, to think that we'll need both exhibit halls next year and, and get at least 200 booths. You know, the, the thing is, is that our original thought for doing this was, you know, that the industry is inevitable, 
And if we just all sit back and wait for the inevitable to happen, the successful models and speculators and investors from, from the other states are just going to come in and plop their models down here and, and collect the money. So we wanted to create a forum for local businesses and New England regional businesses to get together, network, and put together winning plans now um, when, when there's still time. And obviously, we're not trying to be isolationist. And we're welcoming national companies that want to do business in New England. But at the same time, we've sort of made this, we've put a lower bar of entry for, for vendors to get in and made it so that, you know, the smaller businesses in New England can, can be at this kind of event. Right. And I think that's, I think that for me is really part of the value of it. And I really appreciate that because I know from reading about this and looking at cannabis business trends that industry conventions are everywhere, right? And business networks are popping up in every location yeah. with every step of legality or, you know, prohibition. So yeah, I, for you guys, I, I appreciate that because I think that's a lot of people are trying to do that here in Vermont, we obviously just had a major setback, but for us to be able to look around the region and see people a few hours away who are, are doing this and are promoting and I would say elevating, you know, the locals um, while still welcoming national companies. I mean, I know you guys had, there were local New England fertilizer companies and there was Leafly who was there. So it seemed like you guys had a really good variety. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are already enough people in the, the national industry, you know, throwing their hats in the ring. I mean, I've identified over 70 annual conventions that are, you know, industry, excuse me, cannabis industry related. And, and they're already enough of just annual national gatherings. And, and those, those people do a good job. And so the idea here, again, is, you know, connecting the, the local people and people who want to do business just in New England, you know. So if, you, if you're looking right. to, to be a national company, you don't you don't necessarily have to come to this one. But if you do want to do business in New England, you probably should be at this event. Right, and if you're a New England cannabis <laughs> company that's looking for some guidance, here you have some national companies that can, you know, maybe help you with some expertise, maybe give you a connection, and that's what helps a New England company eventually go national. So I... Uh, <laughs> I do. I appreciate that a lot. And I mean, your your sponsors. You guys had a wide variety, um, some national, some New England. But I thought that in itself was a pretty impressive show of force of you know, kind of the energy you guys were bringing. Yeah, we were we were over overjoyed with with the response we we got from people both locally and nationally. Obviously, with you know, all six New England states with medical programs and, you know, at the time, four states pending, um, you know, for, for rec, a yeah. lot of people are, are sort of identifying New England as being like the next hotspot for people. You know, you've got California, you've potentially got Florida, New York, and then people see New England as one of the places. So really it's, it's difficult because it's, it's hurry up and wait. You, you want to set your roots down, but, but the industry isn't here yet. But we do have to be ready when it comes, or we'll just get beat by the people who already have their business models that they can drop here. Well, ex exactly, you know, and that's, I think, when people take a look at the pictures and the video reports from the convention, too, they see that there are so many other businesses that are affected by the economy that are not necessarily, you know, nobody's lighting joints in the convention hall. You know, none of these companies are coming in with, you know, oil or cannabis. I mean, there were some, a few CBD products, but... 
for the most part, these are all ancillary businesses that are doing well enough off even the potential and the interest in the industry already. Absolutely, and, and those are the sort of the forward thinkers. You know, we, you have insurance companies, you have building companies. Everybody thinks, you know, soil and lights. But, yeah, like you say, open your mind and really think of all the infrastructure that it takes to start a new industry like this. And it's, it's everything from, from transportation to buildings to, you know, legal advice to accounting to, to insurance. And all of those people have to you know, establish themselves as experts in the industry and navigating it, and those opportunities are right there. Yeah, and I, I think that's, again, it's great you bringing this to New England. I know that your background is in publishing, and it seems like that kind of helped you guys organize. Obviously, I'm involved in, in Hedy Vermont. Um, we think that sharing information is a great way to get people involved, too. But for people that don't know, you guys are, are also involved with Dig Boston and, and Dig Portland, um, and AnyCan is itself a business. So what's what's next for AnyCan, and what other projects are you working on? Well, we've, we've made a lot of great relationships, uh, my partner Jeff and I, um, with groups in Massachusetts and the rest of New England um, and different companies and, you know, groups such as the Cannabis Society of Massachusetts, Massachusetts Patients Advocacy Alliance. And there's a lot of really, really smart and dedicated people at those groups who, who want to start exploring what the step, next steps are. And whether it's smaller boutique events, whether they're, you know, small workshops, whether they're networking events, whether they're edible tasting events, we're, we're kind of, you know, getting together with some of the movers and shakers and leaders of this industry and, and want to work with them. You know, we obviously, as you said, as a publishing company, um, we have a voice and we have a megaphone um, that, that we're well, you know, that we're ready to, to dedicate to the industry and to help amplify it. So um, we look forward to working with a lot of people um, moving forward over the next few months. Well, we're concrete right now. Yeah, we're we're really we're really happy to hear you say that, and especially, I mean, we had we had Michael and Nicole from the Cannabis Society and, and MPAA up here in Vermont. We hope that. We can work with you and get you guys up here to Vermont. I think that part of our work is, is showing people more of what's happening around us and sort of bringing faces to these ideas and saying these are real people doing real events, having real success. So we hope we can build on that. I'm, I'm, you know, I apologize for all of us up here. It's, it's going to take us a little longer than we'd hoped. You know, but um, but but we're working we're working our way up there. And you know, like I said, the more we can build connections with you guys down there, the better. So thank you again. Yeah, hey, Mark. So um, I said just uh, just to wrap it up, hope we can keep building on these New England connections. And, and thank you again for talking with me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for your time. It was great to have you guys there. Um, terrific to see new media ventures that are going to kind of educate and get the word out. So, you know, kudos to you guys for, for jumping in and kind of amplifying the voice from Vermont. And we really look forward to working with you guys in the future. Mark, thank you so much. Same here. Talk to you soon. Have a great day, Eli. Take it easy. All right. Cheers. Bye. Our next interview from AnyCan back in April down in Boston was with Operation Green Zone. It's a brand new organization that's just started up in Massachusetts. 
And one of the things they do to support veterans is try to work on Cannabis Acts. So we had a chance to talk to their executive director. A little bit more about what they do, you can check them out on Facebook, Operation Green Zone. Um, you know, so for you guys with, with Operation Green Zone, it's not about marijuana as much as it is about veterans. That's kind of the, the crux behind it. Yeah, you know? e Eli, it, it's, it's exactly what's going on. And uh, we appreciate you stopping by, by the way. But, yeah, we came to this conference or this convention for, for one specific reason. That was really to get our message out. We're the newest Massachusetts-based nonprofit that's out here to help our veterans. And when we look and talk to some of the people here, we see in their eyes what we're going to see in anybody's eyes. And they think two things. Oh, another veterans group. Or, that's great, another group helping the veterans. But we say, no matter where you stand on that, that our message is we're, we're, we don't like the fact that there are 40,000 nonprofits operating out there, and you got DOD and the VA helping our veterans, but there are very few indicators that would suggest that, you know, of the entirety of effort that's being put together to help our vets, that the situation's improving measurably. And so those of us at Operation Green Zone feel that that's not right. And so we, we feel we feel it's a bigger need to connect our communities to companies and to our vets in the community arrangements. We're going to do that. We believe that if we don't things if we don't fix this situation, it's a national security issue when people have to think about it like that. But why we are here today is that we also believe that there are lots of military people that we know of that are taking cannabis to help their situations and legally taking it. And there are those that are looking for the access that can't get it because they're in the states that they are. This is a tough issue, but we all know that not only are veterans committing suicide every day, but we get Americans taking anti-anxiety, opiate drugs for depression, anxiety, and all sorts of other things. That this is a national epidemic, and we've got to get out of this. So our message is we only get out by structural changes, the way society works. And part of those might be the next administration that comes in and gets jobs. Because one of the reasons why there's so much anxiety and depression out there is because there aren't enough jobs for everybody. Right, it right. goes back to what, what's the leading cause. But you know, the, but those causes have an impact on what's going on here at this conference. So yeah. I appreciate you coming by. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, you, you guys have, yeah, you guys, you guys are mostly in Massachusetts. You guys have events. You come out to conferences. You know how many how many vets are you guys interacting with? I know you said you're just you're yeah, you're, right. you're very new. We have thirty thousand vets in, in the state of Vermont. Yeah, that's great. You know, I'm sure you guys have probably at least a million here in Massachusetts. Um, so, you know, when you guys are actually working with veterans individually, if someone calls you up and says, "Hey, you know, I've got this issue. I'm not able to qualify presently. What can I do?" Right. Right. You know, it's a good question. Let me uh, let me help you a little bit in terms yeah. of the answer. Um, yes, we're a brand new nonprofit. We're this is only really our third week of operation. Yeah. Holy cow! You're yeah, so we so we were yeah. planning on coming here, but 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 our first three or four months, we wrote. We just want to get our message out there, so it begins to resonate. So we'll be writing articles and, and getting stuff yeah. out on social media to like like working with you today to that what we really stand for and why we think it's important to create. I hate to use the term, but it's a bit it's a term, and it's not used by national security guys as much as it is the you know what's going out there. But our job is to create a little buzz with our with our rhetoric. Right. And what we really stand for, and and so we'll be writing, we'll be going out on social media, we'll be doing these things, and 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 our words will be powerful, they'll be correct, and well, they will be they will be welcomed. And you brought it up earlier. I mean, it's it's an election year, you know, 2016 for for everybody. Yeah. You know, everybody wants to say that they're they're serving vets. You know, politicians probably caught off surprise when you bring up veterans and and cannabis together. You know, but does that have an impact? You know, hearing it from a vet who's served their country. 
you know, that they're having access issues. Does that resonate with politicians differently, and, and what kind of pressure helps encourage that? It, 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 it does resonate differently, and I think that, uh, you, quite frankly, you can probably find different uh, degrees of resonation uh, in all those states, certainly now where marijuana or even medical marijuana is not legal. Right. So you got those constant battles. And let's face it, even in Massachusetts, you get constant battles where you get medical marijuana, but you get the governor coming out and saying, well, I'm not quite sure. And while Operation Green Zone won't make a judgment call on that, you know, we're all for more research and, 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 and more study and more analysis to get to that point. But in the meantime, you know, we, we've got to find a way to make sure that people that need access to this or feel that they do or getting medical support that says you ought to have it, that you ought to have it. And so, so there's this need, I believe, that medical marijuana is producing the results that patients wish. Yeah. Now, those results may not be the results that medical doctors might say exactly what you need. Sure. We don't know enough about that. But at the end of the day, I've heard just a, I for probably, you guys, if it brings I've relief heard, to a veteran, that's what you that's what you care uh, about. Yesterday, yesterday, I heard 25 stories that make you cry right here at this table about. The, the drugs that were being used by a loved one, be it a vet or a mother or a father or uncle. Yep. And you know what? And they were at their wits end. They didn't know what they were going to do. And they found somehow, they found access to medical marijuana. And it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, they were at wits end. When you're at wits end, you're doing what 22 vets or, you know, another, you know, 30 people are doing a day in America. They're taking their lives because they can't cope anymore. And that, that adds up. And that shouldn't be the way America operates. So, yeah, people got differing different yeah. opinions on the stuff, but I think the more that we get used to seeing what's really happening, and the more that we realize that the billions of dollars that we're throwing out there can probably be redirected, new thinkings need to be made, how do we get ourselves out of some of the situations we're in? Right. That's what Green Zone's all about. Shout out again to Operation Green Zone. As we said, they are still new and getting off the ground, but you know, veterans have a, uh, and a really important role to play in cannabis advocacy. Uh, we all know about PTSD, we all know about suicide, we know about chronic pain and how cannabis can help all of these different things, potentially, if used correctly. So it's great to see Operation Green Zone, a lot of other organizations who are out there working with veterans and trying to get them more safe access. So definitely stay tuned to them, and, uh, and thank you for Operation, and thank you to Operation Green Zone for speaking with us. Uh, love to help connect folks in Vermont up with the Operation Green Zone office in Massachusetts. So if you are interested in working with them, getting some people organized up here in Vermont, please feel free to reach out for Montawana at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Our third and final interview from the AnyCan conference is with Tim Gee and Tommy Vo. These guys are both super talented young creatives who uh, live down there in Boston, run a marketing company called Open Market Collective. That's Open Market Collective. They were also there at the AnyCan uh, exposition representing an organization called Minority Cannabis Business Association, um, which was located directly across from us. Um, but, you know, also really cool to see a business and trade group coming in. We actually heard Keisha Rum earlier in this episode talking about how uh, so many of the cannabis businesses are overwhelmingly white, even though there are a lot more women in leadership positions. So we talked a little bit about that, but we also talked a lot about branding, about the future of the cannabis industry. And as you'll hear, I mean, these guys master communicators. They've got some really cool branding and art projects and kind of bringing that world of fashion and music 
and kind of uh, cool hip um, pop culture to cannabis but bringing it in a way that appreciates where it is now and where it could go. So, you know, as you can tell, definitely love talking to these guys. They had some really cool ideas, awesome energy, and here we go. Here is uh, the main person you'll hear in this is Tim, Timothy Gee, um, and also Tommy Vo from Open Market Collective and the Cannabis Minority Business Association. There's a lot of opportunities in terms of just expanding the idea of the possibility of cannabis and the context of it as well. And that's what gets us, well, gets me excited. I don't know about yeah. Tommy, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so are you guys trying to invest in companies yourselves? Or, I mean, you know, kind of work with these people as clients and so, like, so whatever for, you're, you're, se- you're selling, let us help you get yeah, there. Let's, yeah, let's I, think get it, together. I think it's uh, whatever uh, you're selling, it's uh, let's help you, but it's also let's help you in a way that makes sense. Because right. I think that the cannabis industry, as we talked about before, it's wide open. There's not a precedent for it. So I think that there, there certainly is no room for a one-size-fits-all paradigm right now. Right, right. And, uh, I look at it in terms of either craft beer or craft soda even, like, that's, that's come yeah. out. How Jones, there's no precedent for Jones. Mm-hmm. How are they able to carve out entire sustainable niche? How is Jim Cook able to take Sam Adams right. yeah. where everything was what? Coors? Bush. Well, I think that's what, that's, that's what drives people crazy, like, up in Vermont, at least some of them. That's what drives me crazy is, like, you know, in the reason that Vermont wine and, and cider, you know, and, like, mead and, like, every other kind of booze is it just has the word Vermont on it, you know, which, like, there is a standard, you know, and the quality is typically high, you know, like, I think it's pretty well self, well regulated, you know, as far as who gets to use it how, you know, but, um, that's the thing, not having that outlet for for cannabis, you know, for anything. Yeah, I think the key to, to sustainability really is going to be, from like a Vermont perspective, it's like, uh, you know, taking a page from the Ben and Jerry's playbook. It's not really any different than that. It's ter- in terms of how do you fight against hood or friendlies and make it dif- differentiated. I mean, right. I think on top of that differentiation, it's how do you get the consumer market to pay $6 for basically what is a quarter of what Hood is offering for $3 and right, you yeah. know $3 and a handful of change. Um, so I think that that's what, in terms of the genesis of our company and what we want to help small businesses with, is that. It's how do you take cues from other industry leaders like Ben & Jerry's, we both come from e-commerce and fashion. How do you take that? I, how do you take that ideology and be able to help small businesses come to the realization, especially within cannabis, that hey, you know what? Like, eventually, from you know maybe in five years when there's full legalization and the competition floodgates are going to open up, how do you remain defensible? Because there's enough room in that pie where if you think about your block, right. there's a Starbucks that thrives next to your local coffee mom and pop coffee shop right. and how do you take learnings from that and be able to apply that to cannabis so beyond like having something that's green and putting a you know cannabis leaf on it it's right. like creating a standard though it's so, like yeah. creating, creating something that that is going to like live through through the ideas of you know the people that are just in it for money right. and then the people really making craft items right. there's right. a huge differentiation i mean i think both time i came up from like the punk scene and we came up from the skateboarding scenes as well. And that is kind of where we draw our inspiration. And I think the cannabis is like that as well, where the exciting part is, the scary and exciting part is that you can kind of make your own rules with regards to branding, 
and things like that and identity. But at the same time, it's kind of scary because there is no precedent. Yeah. You know, the safe right. part is, hey, let's go get Snoop Dogg, pay him a million dollars and right. get him to endorse our strain. Or let's go get Wiz Khalifa, guys like that, or Cheech and Chong, you know, and yeah. put his face on a roller, you yeah. know? Seriously. And, you know? And that's or, lazy, you know? you know? Yeah, or like, you know, the woman who's the anchor in Alaska. Oh, yeah. You know, Fucking, like, I quit. Now she's like a famous, like, person. Right. You know, right. so now she goes around and gets free stuff. Like, I'm yeah. trying... I'm try I'm down with that. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. like I think they need more weed celebrities. Like, more <laughs> right. People talking yeah. about weed. Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Vaping. Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. my God. Yeah, he's. Yeah, Leo's now the vape dad. Yeah. He's now a vape dad celebrity. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I don't know if Eddie Vermont is down with that. It's about this. I don't know if it's really about that life. Yeah. As a brand. Right. Um, part of our job is uh, you know, and Tommy and I come from kind of we come from Carmel Loop, so we're yeah, driving okay. from a lot of like, oh shit, you know Max Zotz? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I went. To, I went to school yeah. with Dots. Yeah, he's in LA now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Small world. Yeah, small world. Obviously. Yeah. Okay. So oh, yeah, part of do. our, you know, our. Shout out to Brandeis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> part of what we're excited about, and uh, Tommy has much more, you know, roots in this than I do, is basically how do we take that concept of celebrity and, and transpose that in the in the cannabis world? Yeah. Because um, clearly there are a lot of people out there who smoke. Yeah. And you know what? What? counts as celebrity for you and me counts very differently for the baby boomers out there and it's like well okay that's okay so yeah I had that was my first interview where I thought this was going to be a viable thing I mean like it's not economically but it's it's trending in the right direction right um was I got Melissa Etheridge interview hey it's Melissa Etheridge and I've been talking to Vermont and I'm telling you guys elevate the state I'm the son of, you know, lesbian parents. Sure. And, like, I officiated their wedding. So I was able to track down Melissa Etheridge and, like, through Twitter. Like, got her Twitter, slid in the DMs, <laughs> and totally played up the lesbian yeah. card, which was awesome. And she did, like, a 20-minute, you know, like, phone interview. Really? Like, nice. Yeah, it was That's awesome. Yeah. So it's like, all right, like, what are we going to, like... Am I gonna like have to like we need like Lilith Fair on weed like yeah. to, to make this happen in Vermont? Like Sarah McLaughlin, yeah. what do you need for pets? There you go, yeah. million dollar idea right there. <laughs> they are, they're doing there's weed. They are. There's weed yeah, there is. Know? There's yeah. a whole like, debate about that in uh, either Vice or Village Voice about that a yeah. couple weeks ago. Like is cannabis actually good for pets? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that And uh, well I wanna I wanna also ask minority, you know, cannabis business association. You know, what's the status of people in Vermont don't really know what cannabis businesses look like, sure. you know, unless they're coming here and this is a specific kind of view of a specific demographic of, sure. you know, people um, in a time and place, you know, here we are. Sure. Um, you know, so how are you guys able to, what's, what, first off, what's the status of, you know, minority owned businesses in cannabis? I know for women, the it's off the charts as far relative to, yeah, yeah. Shouldn't, shouldn't be bragging about it. It's only like relatively deficient, um, <laughs> relatively sexist. Um, what's the status of it in cannabis? Well, I don't have a specific statistic on it, but I think that part of it is the challenge in terms of being a minority owned business is like that stigma. It's essentially it's brought on by the drug war. Um, but also I think from, that's kind of the traditional from the African American and you know, perhaps like Hispanic communities, but then from an Asian community, there's a whole social stigma attached to it that's right. completely different. That's not really government. It's really more along lines of misinformation and just kind of 
just traditional values, yeah. you could right. say. Right, a little taboo. Um, yeah, so I think that part of it is really in terms of, like it's any other branding dilemma, it's about how do you take public perception and be able to prove people wrong, you know, prove those misconceptions wrong. Right. It's no different than, uh, for example, uh, you know, equal marriage rights, right? Right, um, yeah. The idea is like, well... It's what uh, Melissa and I talked about, yeah. we're on like, you know... It's not a whole lot different, where I mean, like maybe even 10 years ago, like people would think, well, you know, single-sex marriage is terrible for kids or whatever, you know, all sorts of weird, like, you know, yeah. pseudo-scientific bullshit, like, things, right. right? But then public perception was able to be changed because, you know, there was there were faces to, you know, right. LGBT legislation right. and the ideas of, well, you know, you're a well-adjusted individual and you came from a same-sex Appar marriage, You know, apparently, right? like, some you people know, might disagree, but, you know. But, yeah, but yeah. I think it's the same same dilemma as this, you know, in terms of this industry as well. But I think that yeah. to answer your question about minority-owned businesses, I really think that it, it is minuscule. I think part of it is yeah. because of the stigma. But another part of it is I think that, um, you know, in terms of access to bank, you know, banking and things like yeah. that. Um, and unfortunately, I think that also it's rap it's much it's very complex because i think that a lot of folks are looking at dispensaries as the low hanging fruit whereas right. that's clearly not the case i mean that's a, it's, it's a big bank game right now Bizarre the way they, yeah and i think but i think that from a um, you know if you're again drawing with a, a broad brush here if you're a minority group you don't have necessarily access to education things like that and you see you know all right dispensaries that's like your that's like the, the, the gateway to get into into this industry. Um, you know, I think that it's difficult. Yeah. And, but I think that the part of it is like I think that the more inclusive atmosphere really is to be able to present a broad spectrum of different job opportunities, not just as dis owning a dispensary, not just working in a dispensary, but to be able to right. t uh, expand the view to ancillary products, tertiary products, ancillary services, things of that nature as well. So do you guys do, as a group, are you guys doing, like, business pitches? You guys have meetups? Like, you know, so, what's up? So, uh, Minority Cannabis Business Association, we have a regular uh, community-based forums where it's an opportunity for community members in uh, different uh, in different locales to be able to come and have, and have their questions answered from people who have worked in the cannabis industry. So it is a little bit more of that knowledge share. Um, as the group continues to grow, there are going to be opportunities uh, in terms of to participate in more you know, what I would uh, venture to say more regimented programs like this today where um, there are, you know, other clear successful examples of minority bis owned businesses who have been able to do this. Yeah. So. Very cool. Very cool. So what's, um, what's, what's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what's next? I mean, I think this is the only convention. So, you know, what do, what do cannabis business people do besides read Hedy Vermont? <laughs> you know. So first and foremost, they should contact Hedy Vermont to buy ad space. That's first and foremost. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> your, ad, your, your, uh, your ad network is gold. I'm, gold. I'm a videographer <laughs> as well. Yeah. Puts these people together. Uh, but I think that the next thing is really to be able to do, there's no shortcut um, in terms of doing your homework to, to look out for trade associations. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a minority. It doesn't matter if you have special you know, interests in other areas. Do your homework. Look at social media take a look at Facebook groups, things like that, meetup groups, as you have mentioned as well. Yeah. Um, but really, to get in contact with other folks who are passionate and who are here to be able to help. Um, I think that the people who are here to help are obvious, you know. Like you guys. <laughs> are here to help um, versus people who are here to be more predatory um, yeah. and to kind of get 
So participate in uh, communities that are uh, they're open to embrace you with open arms, but also be aware that there are people out there who are looking to just make a quick buck and avoid those tourists. All right, so those were three interviews from AnyCan, the New England Cannabis Convention. The biggest, best, and right now only thing going on in New England as far as business conventions. Expect a lot more of those to pop up, but um, really give a lot of credit to Mark, and thank you again not only for having us and speaking to us, but for all that he is doing. Again, we talk about Elevate the State. Mark's out here to elevate the state of Massachusetts and also the region, so we appreciate that. It was really cool to come together and meet so many awesome people. And uh, I encourage you guys to check out all these guys. AnyCan, Operation Green Zone, and Open Market Collective. All right, so the last segment that we have for this first episode is the man on the street segment. The person on the street, the let's go ask some random people about weed and see what they say kind of segment. So the idea with this was that, you know, I'll have the same sort of four or five questions. I'll go ask a bunch of random people, and uh, we'll piece together their answers and get not only a snapshot of what a bunch of different kinds of people think about the same issue, um, you know, within cannabis, but also that we can just get more diverse voices, more people out there sharing their opinion. So we learned a lot throughout this first episode, and uh, one of the things that we learned and was affirmed again and again is that it's hard to go talk to people uh, randomly on the street about drugs. I don't know if it's just because I have a, a shaved head and, and people think I'm a cop, um, or if it's just because it's all about shot selection and maybe people at the waterfront trying to watch a beautiful sunset don't want me to come up and ask them about weed. Uh, I did avoid the cliches. I was going to go to the skate park. I didn't go ask anybody there. You know, I didn't go ask anybody who was actively smoking weed on the beach, at North Beach or wherever. I just went and asked probably about 20 random people, um, and I ended up getting interviews with three or four of them. So what you'll hear next is we got a couple random people. I didn't use their names, but we just sort of used their, uh, their age and where they're from, and we asked them all the same basic questions. You know, do you have a strong feeling about legalization in Vermont or cannabis reform generally? Is it going to impact your life? Do you think that we should have home grow or tax and regulate first if you had to choose? Um, sort of along those lines. So you're going to hear a couple random people. We've got my man, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but this individual uh, who's in his 50s at the waterfront. We've got a couple of uh, a couple of younger dudes who are tourists, their first time in Vermont. And then we got a couple of uh, Burlington locals here. So last last segment that we got here for the day, man on the street. Here's a, uh, here's a little pulse of what was going I'm on in Burlington last week. I, I live in Burlington at Decker Towers, 230 St. Paul, across from Carrie Swift's up. Sure thing. And so the first question, do you have a strong opinion or strong feelings about marijuana laws changing in Vermont? Yes. Legalize it like Bob Marley always <laughs> wanted. Yes, legalize there it. There you go. Um, do you think your life would change if we changed marijuana laws in Vermont? Yes, we would have. We would spend much less on police informant, in, enforcement, incarceration, and it's been said prohibition never worked with alcohol, and marijuana in some ways is less harmful than alcohol, less debilitating than alcohol. Right. So let's legalize it. Okay. The other harder drugs. Do you think your life would change? Uh, I don't use it personally, but I think society in, a gen in general would be more relaxed, and in that way, it would change. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and then. Right now, what do you think is more important, that we allow home grow, legalize home grow, 
or that we let businesses start selling to people no. 21 plus and no, no. taking revenue. You, I've grown marijuana in my backyard way back in high school. Uh, you let people grow it in their backyard because the government is just looking for another way to tax and make revenue. Uh, if you want a homegrown legalization, you let people grow their own and just don't tax them and leave them alone. Perfect. And if the, if the state did tax it, how would you want them to allocate the tax money if there was tax money for licenses? That, that, that's however? irrelevant. That's irrelevant. You, you don't tax it. You let them grow it. Don't yeah. tax it. The government needs to say, hey, look, Henry David Thoreau said that government is best which governs least. So state of Vermont, stay the hell out of it. There you go. Yeah. And you guys are saying this is your first time here in Burlington. First time in Burlington, yeah. Indeed. Very cool. So um, you guys probably don't, uh, you might have a strong opinion about it, but do you guys have a strong opinion or any strong feelings about Vermont changing their marijuana laws? I, I mean, I just, in, I in general think that everyone should at some point. Um, I think I, I'm pro-legalization, not like strongly so. It's not one of my more important issues, but so in that general sense, uh, I think they should, but as, as since I'm not a resident, I'm not voting on it. You know, right. um, so it's, it's and you guys like, are up here as tourists, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's a huge part of our economy. So uh -huh. it's actually relevant. Ask, would it affect you guys? Would it make you more likely to come back here? Would it change your opinion of the state? Probably. You know, well, I mean, I guess it would make my me think that the state was a little more progressive, even though I already think that. Uh, but no, there's plenty of good breweries here, so it'll, I'll come back <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I it certainly wouldn't make me the less likely to come. Um, I don't know that it would make me a ton more likely to come. Um, yeah. Probably indifferent about it. No. And as far as, I mean, you said you're pro-legalization. Do you think it's more important that home grow is legalized or that businesses are able to operate mm. and generate revenue? I honestly, I haven't thought enough about it. Uh, I, I, sorry, I don't yeah, think I, I have I, Most I, people, do, I write about yeah. it full time. So I, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, have, I haven't thought about the business side of things. I think it's just more important that people can use it. Yeah. Um, Definitely should not be criminalized, yeah. obviously. I think that's really dumb. Yeah, so number one, just stop wasting. Uh, yeah, wasting public time, money, uh, and yeah, yeah, no, I just, I, I don't think it, I just don't think it's a big deal, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the effects are, as far as I understand, like, way, it's way better for you from a health perspective than beer, and, you know, we can, you can do that. Once that is, that is very, that is very much the case. Yeah. Well, since you mentioned, I mean, do you think it's a generational issue? Absolutely. I think, I, that's the thing, that's one of the reasons I'm not worried about it. I think the next generation or two, it's like, we're going to laugh about it. The same thing with, you know, gay marriage and all these other things that are, yeah, changing. Beautiful. That, that, that's true. People do have to try. Uh, people have to make it happen. But I think a public opinion is swaying in that in that direction anyway. Um, and so that's why I just, it's not like my cause, you know. But I totally, uh, you know. I'm 26 and I live in Burlington, Vermont. Burlington, Vermont. All right, awesome. And how old are you? I'm 29 and I also live in Burlington, Vermont. All right. I knew that, but this is for the story. <laughs> we are in Burlington, <laughs> Vermont. Um, so the first question is basically, do you have a strong feeling about Vermont changing their marijuana laws? Yes, I definitely think they should. <laughs> Do you have a strong feeling about it? A strong uh, opinion? Absolutely, I agree uh, with this past statement here. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that, uh, mm -hmm. would it affect your life if Vermont changed their marijuana laws? Uh, it certainly would. Uh, if I had access to the uh, medicinal aspect of it, then I wouldn't have to, uh, uh, you know, endure the uh, the actual smoking part as much as uh, the ingesting part. So you're saying that uh, it, would, it would affect your life and that you think you'd smoke less 
weed and you just you'd rather have options for other kinds of products yeah i would just not that i mind smoking weed at all but as far as uh, me needing it for a medicinal benefit it's not always convenient for me to be able to smoke right uh, so just having other options there like eating something or you know something along that nature would certainly help and how about you? Would it would it affect your would it affect your life in, in any way? Absolutely. <laughs> it would be amazing to have legal weed. It would help everybody. I really think that it would help everybody. And it sounds like what he's saying is that even just being able to go find it easier. Yeah. You know, than having to run around and meet potentially shady people. Yeah, it takes the sketchiness out. Yeah, exactly. And do you think this is the interesting part? If you had to choose one thing to happen before the other, would you rather that home grow is allowed legally or that businesses can open up? Probably the home grow, uh, personally, just because I think that would give everybody a much more fair uh, chance to, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, everybody can be their own little grower for whatever their personal needs are and they don't have to you know, make it into another industry that's limited and possibly going to be monopolized, uh, right. you know, in the and future. Do you think that it's, do you think it's more important that priority that homegrown's legalized first? Let's say you could only choose one to happen, you know, first. Would you rather see homegrown be legal or see businesses be open and people be able to go buy it, have weed stores, have whatever else? It's really hard. I choose homegrown for myself, but I feel like it would be more beneficial to everybody else to have all the shops and restaurants mm -hmm. or whatever people choose to do where you can go and buy. And a lot of people have said, you know, the keep the companies out of it. I hear, I actually hear that a lot as far as people who answer they'd prefer homegrown to happen. But if there was, you know, legal weed being sold and if there was tax revenue that came from it, how would you want the state of Vermont to spend that tax money? You know, just broadly. I think, or specifically, uh, like fix my street now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think mostly putting it into the Department of Education or, you know, putting it towards uh, education in general would be the biggest help. Simply because I, th I think the more educated people are in general, the better they are they'll be to make their own personal decisions about whether they want to consume cannabis or not. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's obviously, I think there's going to be large enough revenues where they'll be able to split it up. Uh, you know, Colorado's mm -hmm. seen massive uh, growth in that sense, and much more than they expected from what mm -hmm. I hear. How about you? Do you think, a lot of people say that they'd want to see it go towards you know, drug education or prevention or people say even just infrastructure, the roads. Yeah, do you I think, would you think like mm -hmm. education, is that your number one or you have another yeah, priority? I mean, definitely education, but I think that again, it could be split up between multiple things and benefit multiple people, even from like homeless people on the streets of Burlington, mm -hmm. <laughs> everything like that, housing for them, helping people. I think it could help everybody out for sure. Beautiful. Easy yeah. enough. Thanks, guys. I, really, I think it What's should that? be, yeah. I think uh, the revenue from it should probably be still be kept separate from, you know, I don't think it should be go, go directly into uh, wherever your other other tax. Oh, the general, the general fund? Exactly. 
you know, just just so there there's better uh, transparency on where exactly you know mm -hmm. those funds are going because it is a lot of money and you know nobody wants to you know they want the businesses to do well but you know a big part of why people are legalizing or pushing for it you know I think is because they know that the revenue is going to be tremendously helpful uh, for the state. So, yeah. yeah. I think I mean that's that's a big part that I I want to see you know, whether it, they yeah. smoke it or you know, not. So yeah. One thing that's one thing that's really surprised me. Well, I guess maybe not surprised me, but that it's such like a a generational thing. You know, where pretty much everybody I talk to who's under forty is like, yeah, obviously, like this is crazy. It's just like you know, gay marriage or anything else. Like we don't. And basically, in the legislature, I think the median age is probably like. 65 plus <clears throat> at least in the house do you think it's just as simple as it's a generational issue and you know people over the oh people of a certain age are so much less inclined to support it uh. absolutely <clears throat> i think it's a knowledge thing i think if people don't know anything about cannabis then they just assume that it's a what is it, schedule of one drug? Is that what it's called? And like heroin? Honestly, right. It's the, nothing like it. The just people who had to just say no. All yeah. drugs are bad. I think yeah. the generation gap is largely due from, like, the, you know, the war on drugs exploding onto it because you have the, you know, the people from the 60s and kind of that Woodstock era who kind of knew that, you know, at least marijuana wasn't that bad, you know, and then... Through the next couple decades, there was this huge push, you know, right, to Nixon make, and to make, uh, uh, you know, pretty much all drugs illegal, no matter what, pot being, you know, pushed into the Schedule One category. But the generation gap, I think, you know, happened right there in those couple decades, and now people are are starting to agree with uh, people from those older decades that you know. Mm -hmm. There's uh, definitely something to the, the medical side of, of cannabis. And it's not just, you know, people wanting to get high and have a good time, but yeah, you know, obviously it works for that too. Even my mom, I just got my mom into cannabis. Really? Which is very exciting. Really? Yeah. She had, um, what is it, um, her... Muscular difference? No... Her um, pinched nerve. Yes, her spine rubs. Okay. Against one another, I forget what it's called, but um, something disc syndrome. It's like disintegrating discs in your back, pretty much. Okay. So you don't have any cushion. Yep. And Vermont. That sounds pretty painful. Yeah, and Vermont's doing something where you can't get a lot of like the drugs that are leading mm -hmm. to heroin addiction now. Yeah. So she really didn't have anything to help her pain, and so I finally convinced her to uh, smoke some cannabis. Really? Yes. Really? And did she you, liked did it. Did you smoke? Did you smoke with I her? I did smoke with her. Wow. Was very, yeah. What was that? What was it that was like? Very fun. <laughs> I think that yeah. that might be a regular segment. Yeah. That might be a recurring segment: smoking weed with your parents. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. And now she'll like Facebook message me little things she sees about weed and like she's yep. excited about totally. it. She watches shows about it. Like totally. She's really excited. Well, and now they just changed cool. the they just changed the law, so now before you had to have severe pain, now you can have chronic pain, and qualify. Really. So now she could that. potentially. It just happened. Wow. So now she could potentially, if she has chronic pain, yeah. and her doctor will sign off. In Vermont, they don't like prescribe it. 
or recommend it. They just say like, yes, you have this condition which qualifies. So if her primary care physician signed up on it, yeah. she could uh, nice. she could register, and then one of you guys could be her caregiver and grow weed legally for her. Right. Right? right. Game changer. That sounds pretty good. Seriously. There we go. Episode one. Vermont to want to elevate the state. Podcast is in the books. Hope everybody enjoyed this. Uh, like I said, we're going to work some kinks out. We're going to add some new features. We're going to bring in some new guests. We might have some co-hosts from time to time. So please do stay tuned. We're going to drop these about once every week, uh, maybe once every 10 days. But definitely stay tuned. It was awesome talking today with, uh, with Keisha Ram. It was great talking with any can folks, Mark Shepard, Operation Green Zone, Tim and Tommy from Open Market Collective. And then our man on the street interviews slash talk to random people on the street about weed. Um, like I said, segment we'll do some more with. But in the meantime, thank you again to uh, to the sponsors. Shout out to the venue, Pinial Designs, Uncle Drew, Hetty Vermont, your number one source for Vermont cannabis information and news, and Little Bay Cabins. Book, book, book. Uh, most cannabis friendly, number one location that we can repre- that we can recommend uh, in Jamaica, the country, not Jamaica, the town in Vermont. So again, thank you for tuning in. This is Eli Harrington, host of Vermont Awana. We will see you again soon. In the meantime, stay up, elevate the state.